0: Welcome to All Over the Map. Where we cover our favorite sports teams, sports media, and the world of broadcast. Your host, Ali Houston. Welcome to The Monday Show of All For All Over the Map. On the day of this recording, it is Monday, June the 19th, 2023 i am your host this afternoon ali musa i am so glad to be hosting uh this show for you and coming up on the monday show steve Pagan will be hopping in will be coming on the show from tvos the agenda and we will be covering all sorts of topics we will be going how about this we will be going all over the map with steve pakin a little bit about what's been happening this week and this weekend for me i have been reading and had an excellent i want to wish everybody out there to all the dads a happy father's day to each and every one of you. And I have been enjoying some Jay's action. Well, I don't know if I want to say I'm enjoying the slump here, but, well, it's been a very rough stretch they've been on. And let's see if they are able to pull through against the Florida Marlins starting tonight for a three-game series. They lost 11-7 to to the Texas Rangers on Sunday. And I'm currently reading Good to Great by Jim Collins. And I do want to remind everybody that the Summer Bash is coming up on Thursday. June 22nd from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern. I have heard from many of you. I've heard from some of you that will be attending. And I'm looking forward to connecting with you guys out there. We will talk books, sports, technology, and more coming up. Now, coming up right now, though, we will take a commercial break and after the break come back with Steve Bacon don't go away you are listening to all over the map
1: hey hockey fans with the hockey season now officially underway it's about time for all that hockey content to return to its rightful place and that's why this is our podcast specifically designed for hockey fans like you. So whether you're driving to work and need some help getting ready for your team before they drop the puck, or driving to the school to learn something new in life, make on the ice and behind the benches a part of your daily routine on Tuesdays and join me as your host on the podcast as we dive deeper into all hockey conversations with experts who know the game, former hockey players, coaches, and of course, everyone's worst enemy, the referees. So get ready for exclusive, fantastic, entertaining, fun hockey content on this podcast and join me, your host. Thomas McGregor, but co-host of the Sports for Beginners Podcast. As we take this journey together on everything and anything in the hockey world. On the ice and behind the benches is the neighboring podcast, two a sports for beginners podcast. That airs episodes every Thursdays. But for us, we air episodes every Tuesdays. And for more information, Please visit the Facebook page of our neighboring podcast, the Sports for Beginners Podcast Facebook page to be exact. I'm so excited to begin this journey with you and I hope you hockey fans, old, new, fan or no fan are ready to join me on this journey as well. That's on the ice and behind the benches with your host, Thomas McGregor, myself, every Tuesdays. On all of your favorite podcasting platforms, including Spotify. And if you want early access to early episodes of the podcast upload, you can visit anchor.fm as soon as the episode has already been uploaded onto your favorite podcasting platform. Should there be any delays to its launch, that's anchor.fm. For early access on On the Ice and Behind the Benches episodes before they hit your platform. We are currently available on Spotify and air episodes every Tuesday. We've got post and reaction content now. But I am excited to join, the. have you join me on this journey. So don't miss it. And remember, on this podcast, nobody gets icing.
0: Monday, June the 19th, 2023, I am your host, Ali Musa. Joining me today on the show is Steve Pacon. Steve is the host of The Agenda on TVO. Steve, I'd like to take this opportunity to um, welcome you to All Over the Map. Thank you so much for taking the time today to join me on the show. I really appreciate it. Not at it. all.
2: Good to meet you. How are you doing? I
0: am absolutely wonderful. Um <laughs> Wonderful. It's um, it's always, you know, I always have a lot of fun recording and doing these shows and it's been, it's, it's been a fun ride over the last year.
2: Good. What do we want to talk about today? Well, let's start by, tell us a little bit about your upbringing, please. I'm from Hamilton, Ontario, born and raised, moved to Toronto when I was 18 to go to U of T and had, I guess, what could be described as a blessedly normal childhood in Hamilton. Um, Mom, Dad, one brother, and me, and that was it, and a dog somewhere along the way as well. Awesome,
0: and that that certainly seems. Uh, and uh, tell how about and uh, tell us about as well um, how you um, how you got into um, to broadcasting. Tell us about that path, please.
2: That happened completely by accident. I was at uh, my first week as a University of Toronto student. It's 1978, and I don't even think classes had started yet. I think this was orientation week, and it was the last week of August. I went to Hart House, which is this sort of big old Gothic building in downtown Toronto on the U of T campus, and as I walked in the front door, I saw a whole bunch of different tables for a whole bunch of different activities. You know, there's the the geography club, the debate club, the photography club, the archery club, and I saw another table for something called U of T radio. And Allie, I don't know what happened, but something happened. I just sort of got hit by lightning at that moment. And I went over to the table and I said, uh, you guys have somebody who does play by play for the varsity blues, hockey and football teams. And they said, no. And I said, well, can I do it? And they said, yep. And that was it. (laughs) It was, and that's what got me started.
0: Wow. No, that, that is totally, totally um, interesting. So Now, at some point along the way, then um, um, I was actually um, um, taking a look and uh, at some point along the way you had gone to um, uh, to uh, the University of uh, Boston. How did that um, how did that come about?
2: I'm afraid I don't have a really good academic explanation for that, other than to say, by the time I finished at U of T, I knew I wanted to be a journalist and I knew that Boston University had a good journalism program. But more importantly, Boston University was about a five-minute walk from Fenway Park. And I have been in love with the Red Sox since 1975. And as a result, I went to BU to learn how to be a better journalist, but more importantly, to go to a lot of Red Sox games. And that's what I did. Wow. Okay. Well, that's fair.
0: Um, And now, so now kind of circling back, so... You wanted to so um, when you went to the University of Toronto, you wanted to do uh, the play-by-play for the Varsity Blues hockey team. Now, was play-by-play something that you had a a pat was sports and play-by-play something you had a passion for? Being from the GA, like being from the GHA.
2: Yeah, um, absolutely. I grew up in a, in a household where we really loved sports. Uh, My parents always said that they didn't want to worry about where we were on a Saturday night, what kind of trouble we were getting into. And as a result, uh, we went to a lot of Maple Leaf hockey games. We would drive in as a family of four to Toronto and we would go to Leaf games. And this, you got to remember, Allie, this is in the days where a ticket for Maple Leaf Gardens, um, even the best seats in the house, I think were about 15 bucks. And we sat in the blues, which were not the best seats, but they were, you know, they're good enough and they... I think they were about five dollars a piece when we started going to games. So yeah, I had obviously watched a lot of hockey, both live and on television. And Foster Hewitt was somebody who was, you know, a bit of a, um, a broadcasting hero to me. Uh, I certainly well remember everybody. I think well remembers if you were alive at the time uh, in 1972 with the Summit Series and. Foster Hewitt coming out of retirement to call those games. Henderson has scored for Canada as he screamed in the in the last minute of Game Eight in Moscow. So yeah, that was always something I wanted to do, and I got a chance to do it at U of T, and really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I think it's like I think it's funny sometimes how it turns out, right? When you want where you weren't even sure you wanted to. do um, – get into um get into broadcasting and then all of a sudden that that the broadcasting bug kind of hits you kind of
2: well that's exactly right and uh, the guy who did the color commentary on those broadcasts at u of t was a guy named michael landsberg and michael oh, course, Michael a, landsberg yeah he had a had a great uh, a great run at tsn for i don't know 25 or 30 years doing a show called off the record which i appeared on as well a few times and he appeared on the shows that I've done at TVO, both Studio 2 and The Agenda. So we've known each other since we were teenagers and have sort of continued to stay in touch. and, And we did the games together. And I have to say, gosh, Michael, I hope you don't mind my saying this. We were really pretty horrible at the time, but we had the great good fortune of being able to practice what we wanted to do in very low risk circumstances, right? There weren't I was going to say there weren't thousands of people listening. In fact, I bet there weren't even hundreds of people listening, but we had a chance to do um, broadcast for the hockey and the football teams at U of T in a low risk environment where just by doing, we hopefully got a little bit better at it. Yeah. And that's,
0: see, and I guess the other sort of difference um, certainly was too, is in those, like, like in those days, it was a lot different than it is today. like in those days, those opportunities um you know now um were like there was more of a a chance for those kinds of opportunities in those days especially with say over like when there was overnight radio when there were those overnight shifts too
2: i think that's probably true i know that for example michael and i once we started working together on u of t radio we decided we wanted to try to find a TV show as well. And so we went up to the smallest cable company in Toronto, uh, which was called Willowdowns Cable then. And I think you could basically, <laughs> I think Willow Downs went from about, oh, I don't know, Shepherd to Steeles, from Bathurst to Dufferin in the northwest part of Toronto. It was a very small footprint. And we ended up doing a show there for a few years called Jock Talk, where we just came in every Tuesday night, I think, and we uh the monday or tuesday anyway can't remember now and we just uh you know shot the bs about sports and we did it for i think an hour an hour and a half uh once a week and again really enjoyed doing it and all the camera operators were volunteers and the director was a volunteer and we were volunteers and it was a real again low risk way to kind of learn how to get better at something that you weren't very good at
0: now speaking of um sports um I want to get your thoughts here on the when it comes to um, we're going to start with sports radio, if that works for you.
2: It's your show, Ali.
0: Oh, okay, Yeah, then we will. Um, Tell me, I want to talk about I want uh, tell us about your thoughts on the current sports media landscape in Toronto. When it comes to the sports radio side of things.
2: That's a, t- you know, it, it's a funny thing. That's a tough one because I don't listen to all that much of it. Um, now I used to do a show on the fan 590 for a year with a guy named Bruce Dobegin. We worked together at CBC television and we decided we wanted to try to be, uh, we both worked nights. And as a result, we had a couple hours available in the morning in which to do a show. And so we did. We hosted, I think, from nine to eleven a.m. on uh, the Fan 590. We did a show called Double Play, and I did it for with Bruce for a year. And then I had to, uh, and then I left after a year. I think I had a third child, and so I needed my mornings back to watch the kid. And Bruce kept doing it a little after that. And so I have a, I had a relationship with the fan that went way back. But I must confess, I listened to precious little terrestrial radio about sports and i listened to mlb the Sirius uh satellite radio channel mlb i listened to can i make NH- a confession to you steve so do i you do too yeah it's good i like that so i listened to mlb to get my baseball fix i listened to the nhl because i really like Gord Stellick, and i i listened to him on the nhl Sirius satellite radio channel and i listened to uh a couple of podcasts out of Boston, so I can keep up with my Red Sox. But uh, in terms of Toronto radio, not all that much. I have to confess.
0: Yeah. Now, do you use the um, the SiriusXM app, or do you listen? Um, or do you listen in the car?
2: Listen in the car, definitely in the car. Uh, and uh, and over the summer, uh, you know, we've got a cottage up north, and. Uh, and I listen to it on the—I don't know what you call it—like on my tuner, <laughs> not on the app, not on the app on my phone. But I listen on on a tuner. We put up an antenna and we pick it up that way.
0: Yeah. See. No. Yeah. No. That's a that's a good segue too because your like um, your thoughts on their content as a listener on the SiriusXM content of MLB and NHL. Ready? I personally like what they those guys have to offer. I I, I actually you know i I don't listen I honestly don't listen to very much um as you call it terrestrial radio either only for the only for the news maybe for five ten minutes in the morning mm-hmm. otherwise that's about it
2: well i I mean I love the leaf so I listen to uh, leaf stuff on terrestrial radio uh, oh, like And Leafs I do nation catch, and- yeah yeah and I catch you know when Joe Bowen calls the games, I like to listen to him uh when I'm not watching it on t v yeah and um but you know uh like they do a lot of blue jays right they do a lot of blue jays and and while i like the blue jays my 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 favorite baseball team is the red Sox. so i they have a level of they have a level of depth about the blue jays that i'm not necessarily all that interested in whereas my day always starts uh with uh the boston globe and reading about what the red Sox did the night before and chances are i watch the game as well so i'm and then I'll read a couple of columns. Uh, that's how the day starts usually for me. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I like and the the guys, uh, the morning guys on MLB, Steve Phillips. I like him. You know, he's obviously got a lot of he and Gord Stelica uh, They remind me a lot of each other because they're former general managers who really mm-hmm. know the games well. And and so I feel I'm learning something when I listen to them.
0: Yeah. Ryan Payton as well friend of this show, too. And. Now, in, in terms of, okay, so um um, um do, do you have any, now speaking of the Leafs, do you have any thoughts about how things went from how that game five went for them <laughs> against the Panthers?
2: <laughs> do I have any thoughts beyond uh, <laughs> what we've been obsessing on over the last couple of months? Uh, not really, other than, you know, the Leafs won a series against Tampa Bay that they probably did not deserve to win. Uh, they... Uh, Excuse me. Let me rephrase that. They won a series against Tampa Bay that they probably did not deserve to win. And they lost a series to the Florida Panthers that they probably did deserve to win. Because I think in the main, they probably outplayed the Panthers, but the hockey gods were with the Panthers right up until the last series. And uh, for whatever the reason, you know, for whatever reason, the, the hockey gods continue to dislike the Leafs as they have for whatever it is, 56 straight years now. And... And it's interesting if you're, Ali, I don't know about you, but if, uh, you know, I have, I had high hopes for this group, you know, the core four plus. And I think one of the things that Vegas has taught us is that you can win the Stanley Cup without having a core four. You can have four evenly matched lines where they didn't really have a, an overall number one line, where it was obvious that those guys were much more talented than everybody else on the team. They had four pretty balanced lines, uh, solid defense. Big, tough, nasty defense and great goaltending. And that's, I don't know if that's the template to winning the Stanley Cup now. Maybe, maybe you can't occupy so much of your salary cap with just uh, four players and hope to fill in the blanks after that. But um, I don't know. It's still, still not happening for the Leafs. But, you know, I'm one of those idiot Leaf fans who, for whom hope springs eternal. And I hope someday it'll happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the Vegas, the Golden Knights. I think yes, they did show us a lot there that they could win, um, that they could uh, that, um, and and I mean now the how about the Kyle Dubas situation? Do you have any perspective on that?
2: Again, nothing particularly unique, other than uh, he seems to have overplayed his hand. Uh, I, I take him at his word. Maybe I shouldn't, but I take him at his word when he had that unburdening press conference where he said. It's either going to be here or nowhere else. I'm not looking for a job anywhere else. And, and oh, and incidentally, I, I want more power and a, and a higher salary. And Brendan Shanahan obviously didn't go for that. And lo and behold, uh, the next day he ends up in Pittsburgh. Uh, these things <clears throat> unfold as they do. And uh, I guess I wish him well in Pittsburgh, although I'll tell you what. Ali, I think he's got a hell of a job waiting for him in Pittsburgh. He's got three guys who take up a lot of salary cap, who are all on the downside of their careers. And, uh, you know, it seems to me that I think that's a harder job than taking over as manager of the Leafs right now, frankly. I think the Leafs are closer to it than Pittsburgh is. And, and, And Pittsburgh seems like a really difficult rebuilding job right now. So I don't know. We'll see. But you know what? This is all just talk. And uh, they play the games on the ice. So we got to watch and see how it all works out.
0: Yeah, I was also like expecting the Leafs to go a little bit further this year. Like, I mean, they did make it past the first round, which of course it wasn't enough for most Leaf fans.
2: Yeah, I agree. And the thing is, uh, I know everybody was cheering for Florida because they thought the Leafs would have a better chance of beating the Panthers than they would the Bruins. As it turned out, the Bruins uh, did not have the mojo by the time the playoffs came around and the Panthers did. So strangely enough, we should have been cheering for Boston to win that series. Cause I think the Leafs would have had a better <laughs> shot at beating the Bruins. And they clearly did not have a better shot at beating the Panthers who took care of them uh, in um, memorable fashion for Florida fans. In fact, I was in Florida for game seven of the Panthers Bruins we had gone to Game 6. Boy, that was such a great game. Game 6 in that series, I'll remind your listeners, was 7-5 for the Panthers, and the lead changed hands numerous times, and it was just a great, exciting game. We went to that game in Sunrise, my, my wife, my daughter, and me. And and then Game 7, we went to a show that night, and as we got out, we watched the last five minutes at a bar, and then the overtime after that. And, oh, gosh, Uh, People went into shock when the Panthers won an overtime. I don't think anybody was expecting it to go to game seven overtime. And it was, uh, well, the revenge of Chucky, right? Kachuk was amazing. Matthew Kachuk was amazing. And uh, so was Bobrovsky, their goalie. And there you go.
0: Yeah. And I think as well, I mean, it, it, um, I, I think that it will depend here, um, whether on how many of the core four or which of the core four they decide to keep, um, whether it's, um, uh, I, I don't see all four of them staying, but it will be, uh, but it will be an interesting ride.
2: Well, you never know, right? I mean, the guys on the Vegas golden Knights didn't make the playoffs last year and they begged management, keep us together for one more year. Let us see what we can do. We think we can do it. And they did. They won the cup. And I suspect the core four are having the same conversations with Bradtree living right now, which is to say, keep us together with one more year for one more year. And we really think we can do it. Now, he may he may have his own ideas about that, thinking that these guys have had enough chance to prove what they can do in the playoffs. And they really have not. Um, So, you know, as always, we'll see.
0: And uh, Sheldon Keith, do you? Th- I mean, there there was a report earlier that there that they were that there were talks to um, uh, ex- to possibly extend him. Um, in your mind, what's the likelihood of that? Would you like to see that?
2: Well, I can't predict the future, but let's just point out the obvious, which is Bruce Cassidy leaves Boston. He comes over to Vegas in his first year. They win the Stanley Cup. Uh, that that happened for the Pittsburgh penguins uh, back in the day as well when their uh, coach left somewhere came in first year in pittsburgh wins the stanley cup uh you look at uh, pete de when he uh i don't know i'm not sure he won a stanley cup but he certainly went to a new team i think four new teams didn't he take four new teams to conference finals uh in his first season there yeah
0: i believe he did
2: yeah so i remember
0: him his time as the head coach of the kitchen rangers too
2: Ah okay that's going way back Uh, Anyway, bottom line, Sheldon Keefe's been in Toronto for a long time. Uh, My suspicion, and I have nothing to hang this on other than just a gut instinct, my suspicion is Brad Tree-Living is going to give him a chance to see what he can do with the team. And if the team doesn't get off to a great start, I have little doubt that Tree-Living will replace Sheldon Keefe uh, rather quickly because we have seen lots of examples of first-year coaches coming in putting a new cone of paint on the existing team and um, going all the way. So we'll see. Yeah. Now tell us a little bit about, we're going to switch a little bit
0: here. Tell us a little bit about um, the, tell us about the agenda and how that got started.
2: Well, the agenda emerged. uh, Gosh, what year are we in now? I think we're finishing the end of year 17 right now. I think the agenda got started in 2006, and it emerged from uh, a change in direction that our new CEO at the time wanted to take. Uh, I used to do a show before this called Studio Two, which when it started in 1994, was a pretty distinctive uh, current affairs offering. But as the years went by, it sort of became less and less distinctive from other stuff on the air, and the new CEO wanted something more distinctive. Because we're public television, you know, people, people give us uh, $3 per person per year of their tax dollars. I think they get pretty good value for that, for three bucks a year. Uh, but the new CEO, Lisa DeWild was her name, uh, she wanted a more distinctive offering. And so Studio Two got canceled, the agenda was created. And uh, here we are, year 17, getting a pretty good audience. People can watch it on television, they can watch it on their smartphones, they can watch it on their computers, they watch it on, we're on YouTube, we're on Twitter. Uh, So, you know, we're out there and available for people wherever and whenever they want. And of course, downloadable as a podcast as well.
0: So uh, just the audio version is available too?
2: Right. Okay.
0: So what what has changed, like, okay, so it started in 2006. Mm -hmm. What has changed today? about the structure and the format of the show?
2: It's bounced around a little bit, but basically we plant our flag on long form journalism and in-depth coverage. So, you know, whereas in the course of a, a 60 minute evening newscast, you could very well over 60 minutes have 25 or 30 different items in the program, you know, individual news stories and weather and sports and entertainment. And, you know, we should go through it. Uh, there might be 25 different items in the course of an hour. We have two or three, that's it. And we go into much more depth on a much shorter number of items. And we've played around with uh, regular recurring panels to not having regular recurring panels, to having new guests all the time, to uh, longer items. I remember a a few years ago, we used to do interviews, if necessary, that were 55 minutes long. Uh, Nowadays, we do fewer of those and we do more, you know, 20, 23 minute interviews, 35, 40 minute panel discussions. So, in essence, what we want you to think when you think in depth coverage, when you think in depth current affairs, we want you to think TVO, we want you to think the agenda. And that's essentially what we've been offering on this show for 17 years. So,
0: tell me, tell us in that event now. So, how is it determined now? When you're on air during a show, how how is it determined now? Because you said you that you guys do three different. Sometimes you'll do three. A lot of the times you'll do three different topics. What? How is it determined that how much time you're going to spend on each topic?
2: Well, as a general rule, to wrap up. Yeah, as a general rule, we do one-on-one interviews that are anywhere from 20 to 23, 25 minutes long. And we do panel discussions, which can be three, four, or five guests, sometimes more, but rarely. Uh, That can be anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes long. And that's the general formula. Usually we have, uh, you know, generally speaking, it's one one one-on-one plus one panel discussion. Although sometimes it's three one-on-ones, you know, 18 minutes each or sometimes it's uh, you know one panel discussion for f- 57 minutes uh, because the topic is so big uh, and we have a, a large number of guests. Uh, but those decisions are made by the executive team here on the agenda, the executive producer and the senior producer. Uh, they make the decisions about what stories we will cover after they hear all the pitches from me and the producers in a weekly pitch meeting. We do that every Wednesday afternoon. And then they essentially decide, okay, we think this story is worth X number of minutes. We think that panel discussion is worth X number of minutes. And they decide. So it's a very much a team effort, Ali, going into it. Uh, When the actual interview is happening, uh, obviously, you know, I'm the guy who decides what questions to ask when. I have a producer talking to me in my ear who can make recommendations. But essentially, you know, essentially at that point, I'm driving the bus.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, no. That's um, it. It seems like a, a very, very um, well um, structured show. Now, TVO. What, like, what, what is TVO though? Like, is it, is it, um, for those that may not know, is it, uh, does, is it, does it, is it ad supported? Is it, is it like, say, does it? What is it?
2: Well, good question. Because TVO was started by a former minister of education in the 1960s named Bill Davis who went on to become the second longest serving premier of Ontario of all time. And Mr. Davis, when he was education minister, thought that learning ought to be something that happened beyond schools or colleges or universities. And so he created, he was the education minister when TVO was created. And the idea was, you know, education more broadly defined. Now, of course, we have a lot of pedagogical stuff, you know, classroom type stuff on TVO. But we also have programs like the one I host, The Agenda, which tends to be um, education more broadly defined. And uh, we, are, we were back then 100% supported by the government of Ontario. Today, about two thirds of our costs are covered by the government of Ontario. Uh, the government has a lot of demands on its purse. And so we understand that. And we try to fundraise for the remaining third to keep us on the air. And through the generosity of individual Ontarians and some corporate underwriting, uh we managed to keep the lights on here. But that's the gist of it. About two-thirds government funded, one third we raise ourselves. And uh we we have a much smaller, leaner outfit today than we did during Bill Davis's time. Uh I don't know how many employees we've got here, but I probably about a third. We're probably a third, a third the size we were back in the beginning. We've really we we are doing we hope fewer things better as opposed to more things not as well, because when your budgets get tight, you've really got to focus and specialize in what you think you do best
0: yeah, and that's what it i mean that that's kind of the landscape today in media in general if we if we look at it like and I mean, this is probably an extreme example, but and we can we when we will talk about it like on the, of course, the, uh, the Bell Media layoffs.
2: Uh, well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're very different. Uh, they're at a very different universe than we are. They, are obvi- they have the profit motive, obviously. They have got to make money for their shareholders. Uh, they have got to deliver eyeballs to advertisers. We're not in that game, Ali. We're in the game of, of treating our viewers as citizens, uh, not as potential customers for the products we advertise because we don't have any advertising. Uh, so we, we feel we have a different mandate. We have a different culture inside the building. And I think that makes us distinct on the broadcast landscape, uh, not to mention the fact that we have a whole uh, set of offerings online as well. TVO.org is our website, and we have you know, different shows there, different columnists there. I, I not only host a TV show, uh, but I also write a weekly column for TVO.org. Uh, John Michael McGrath and I do a weekly Queen's Park podcast called the On Poly podcast, where the focus is very much on provincial affairs. Uh, John Michael and I also do a weekly newsletter, which people can subscribe to, tvo.org slash newsletters. So we got all these different offerings, both on television, online, uh, however you want to enjoy our stuff. That's where we want to be.
0: See, which is good, right? And yeah, and that's the, yeah, and, and I think that's you're right, and that is the biggest difference between, say, the way they do things and the way that you guys do things.
2: Yeah, I have no obviously, I have no problem with private television and private radio and and what they want to do. Uh, they have their mandate. Uh, most of them do it, you know, well enough to keep an audience and to stay in business. Uh, but that's not our mandate. We're different. Uh, we are, uh, because of the public support we get, we have to be different. We have to, we have to justify and be worthy of the $3 per person per day, uh, excuse me, per year, $3 per person per year. We have to be able to justify that. And I think we do. We have the best children's programming uh, of any channel in Ontario. Uh, I think we do a, you know, great documentaries and great current affairs offerings. So I think people easily get their $3 a year worth. Of course, you'd expect me to say that, but I act—I I happen to actually believe it. One of the reasons I, I came to TBO from CBC thirty years ago is that I really liked what they were doing, and when they offered me a position, I said, "You know what? I—I I subscribe to that channel. I actually give them money. I was a, I was a uh, a donor, and I thought, yeah, I'd like—I'd like to be a part of that, and that's why I came over."
0: Okay, I know. And tell us about your time at CBC a little bit.
2: Oh, that's so far back! Gosh, what did I do there? (laughs) I spent seven years at CBC uh, from 1985 to 1992, and I did almost everything. I anchored on the local news. I anchored on what we then called News World, now CBC News Network. I anchored on the national, which was the you know the obviously still is the main uh, national newscast at 10 o'clock. I did sports. I did entertainment. I did reporting, I did uh, current affairs, like longer mini documentaries. I did radio because I'd fill in on radio from time to time, uh, early morning radio. I remember there were a few weeks there where I was getting up at four in the morning to host Metro morning and then trying to catch a couple hours of nap in the afternoon and then host the six o'clock news uh, on television in the evening. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it did midday, a show they used to do at uh, 12 noon did national news reporting. Uh, I really enjoyed my time at CBC. You know, I spent seven years there doing absolutely everything. And as a result, I got a very good and broad grounding in all sorts of different uh, issues, journalistic practices, and so on. And I think it set me up very nicely to come to TVO and do what I'm doing now.
0: So, okay, now what do you remember then most about your time at CBC? Who were some of, the, who were some of the, uh, the anchors there at the time that you got to know and learn from there?
2: Well, first and foremost, when I worked at National News, it was Knowlton Nash. And he was the guy who uh, had been uh, a Washington Bureau reporter and who left Washington to um, become the anchor of the National. And I do remember my dad was a huge fan of his. And I remember one day on my dad's birthday, uh, I got seconded over from local to national and I did a story for the national news. And when on my dad's birthday, Nolton Nash said Steve Paken reports, I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I thought that was the best birthday present I could give my dad for him to watch Nolton Nash that night and, and, and see Nolton Nash introduce his kid to a story on the news. But of course, Peter Mansbridge replaced uh, Nolton Nash. Uh, so I was there during his time Um Oh, my gosh, if I go back to local news, uh, when I first got uh, to uh, CBLT, as we then called it, Channel 5, Cable 6, uh, Fraser Kelly and Hillary Brown were anchoring the news. Uh, Those are two names that will mean something to people who've been around for a while. Uh, I learned a great deal from the two of them. They had, uh, in two different ways, Uh, Fraser knew politics and Ontario and Canada really well. And Hillary had been a foreign affairs correspondent all over the world, and in fact, uh, did it again after she left CBC. And so I learned a great deal about foreign affairs from her. So that was terrific. And uh, yeah, I guess Paul Hunter, who's still on the national reporting uh, all over the place, he, uh, he and I co-hosted the uh, 6 o'clock news on CBC for a while. And, um, and actually, as we sit here talking today, Ali, it is the 74th birthday of the executive producer at CBC who hired me in the first place. A guy named Howard Bernstein, who I owe a great deal to because he took a shot on a kid who was, I think, 25 years old at the time and had three years of City Hall reporting in radio in Toronto under his belt. Um, And not much talent, but a lot of drive and determination to be better. And happy birthday, Howard. But he's a guy who gave me my first big break in TV, and uh, I will always be indebted to him for that.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, no. And it's, it's always good to kind of, you know, have some people that you look up to or that you work with and you learn from and, um, and all that, um, it, it really becomes an interesting cycle. And, uh, I think, I think you and I will need to do a part two someday. there's a lot we can talk about.
2: <laughs> if you think I haven't put all your listeners to sleep already, I I'm game for that, but, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little worried that, uh, Paken talking too much about Paken is not all that interesting to your listeners. Oh, it's
0: interesting. It's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, um, as we were out, is there anything you would like to share with all over the map listeners?
2: Well, I, I, I would put another name on the record here, and that is uh, Howard Bernstein hired me at CBC, and he also then went to TVO and was the guy who made the introduction to me to think about coming to TVO because they were going to be doing some new stuff there and he set me up on a meeting with a guy named Peter Herndorf. And I want people to, to remember how important Peter was uh, to the development of my career, because he ultimately hired me and made me the host of Studio Two. and uh, And unfortunately, just died this past year, and we're going to have a memorial service to remember him in just a few days. So he's a guy who's on my mind a lot these days. And Peter's the guy who said to me, you know, Steve, you should come over to TVO. You're hosting the six o'clock news on CBC, which is the job you always wanted. I get that. But you should come to TVO because, number one, you'll get to do stuff at TVO that you wouldn't get to do at CBC if you stayed there. He said to me, you will miss working at CBC. I will admit that because he had worked at CBC, come to TVO, and he did miss CBC. But then he said, but you won't regret leaving. You won't regret leaving because of all the great stuff you'll get to do at TVO. And Ali, he was, he was wrong about one thing. After about a week at TVO, I didn't miss CBC at all. I just thought TVO was was a. I loved the mission of the place. I love the people I worked with. I liked the work I was doing. Um, and here I am. I'm still here, 30, almost 31 years later, because um, because Peter Herndorf hired me back in 1992, and I'll always be grateful to him for that. There's a lot of stuff that I've been able to do in in the course of my career because I ended up at TVO from making documentaries to writing books to moderating at leaders debates during election, uh, to hosting five different shows here. So, uh, I'm very indebted to Howard and to Peter Herndorf, uh, whom I, uh, to whom I owe a lot. And I remember particularly fondly right now, as we get ready for a memorial service for him in a few days.
0: Yeah, no, um, condolences there. And, um, where can people, uh, where can people, how can people contact you? If they have any questions for, they want to get in touch with you, where can they find you?
2: I think they should just go to the uh, TVO website. And uh, there's, I'm sure there's a button there. They can email audience relations and they always get the emails to me.
0: Awesome. And, um, and they can follow you on social if they want.
2: They can. I'm on Twitter at S That's S P A I K I N on Facebook too. And if they I I interact with everybody on social media who is civil, Uh, you criticize the hell out of me. I don't care. But as long as you do it in a civil fashion, I'm I'm game for that. If you want to be a horse's ass, I got no time for you.
0: Uh, Well said. Uh, I agree. And you can reach me at uh, atompodcast819 on Twitter. You can visit the All Over the Map podcast Facebook page. Search for All Over the Map podcast. Visit http colon slash slash alitechgroup.wordpress.com. And you can email me there at atompodcast819 at gmail.com. Steve, I really want to take this opportunity to thank you so much for joining me on All Over the Map for the Monday show.
2: Nice to meet you, Ellie. You be well. You too. And
0: All Over the Map will return on Tuesday, June 20th, with Dave McCarthy. So stay tuned to the podcast feed for that. And we always remind you on this show, and we can say it together, it is not goodbye, it is until next time. Thank you so much for listening to All Over the Map. If you have any questions or feedback, you can email me at Podcast 819 at gmail.com. That is A as in alpha, T as in the, O as in over, M as in map, podcast819 at gmail.com. You can also feel free to visit our website to learn more about upcoming episodes at https: colon slash slash podcast all over the dash map. Once again, that is https: colon slash slash a l i techgroup.wordpress.com slash podcast dash all dash over dash the dash map And it is not goodbye, it is until next